prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Jamie Dornan embraces his roots with the new film, Belfast. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused, my little podcast that could eight years and counting. Wow, how have we made it this far, guys? Welcome, welcome. If you are a longtime listener to the podcast, welcome back. If you're a new listener, and chances are there might be a few of you because last week's episode created quite a stir. Um, Andrew Garfield uh, made some news with his tell-all um, revealing conversation with me about Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, let me tell you guys, it, it was just, as much as it was a blast to record that conversation with Andrew, um, it was just so pleasurable to see it be enjoyed by so many of you out there. Um, nothing makes me happier. It's nice to like make news, sure, to break news, if there's something like newsy and cool in something, but it was it was almost less about the, um, you know, the news-breaking elements than people just enjoying a happy Andrew Garfield <laughs> talking about Spider-Man and the two of us laughing about this odd circumstance that was Andrew Garfield um, dancing around being in Spider-Man for so long. And to see it uh, come full circle with that conversation, as I said to, to a, a, a bunch of people, you know, every so often everything lines up in the right way. And uh, that conversation certainly did. So if you've if you're catching up with the podcast, thanks to that conversation. Welcome aboard. We've got nearly 400 episodes of Happy, Sad, Confused over the last eight years for you to catch up on. So you've got a lot of homework, guys. Um, I won't hold you to it, but I will say chances are if you have a favorite actor or actress or filmmaker, um, it's a good shot. They've been on the podcast. Sometimes they've been on more than once, like Andrew. That was his second, oh, third appearance on the podcast. Um, today's guest is a first-time guest on the podcast, but someone I've known for quite a while. Um, it is the absurdly talented, the disgustingly handsome, uh, the man, the myth, the legend that is, Mr. Jamie Dornan. Um, so excited to see all the success that Jamie Dornan is experiencing now. He is, of course, starring in Belfast, which is a lovely movie. I don't know if I've heard a bad word about this movie. I don't know how you could not love Belfast. This is the inspired by the true story uh, tale told by Kenneth Branagh. Again, one of my favorite filmmakers who's been on the pod a few times. This tells his early years, about his early years growing up in Belfast. Uh, it's shot in gorgeous black and white. It's got beautiful music from Van Morrison. It is nostalgic um, and sweet and features just wall-to-wall -wall great performances. We had Katrina Balfe on the podcast just a few weeks back talking about her performance in the film. Kieran Hines is fantastic. Judy Dench, uh, the young man at the center of it who plays the young Kenneth Branagh is fantastic. Um, and Jamie gets to really just show off some new sides to himself playing this really decent, hardworking father who's just doing his best to keep his family together in these turbulent times. Um, it also features a, uh, a beautiful uh, musical sequence in it. Speaking of musical sequences, of course, let's give props to Jamie Dornan one more time for Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Of course, we talk about that in this conversation, too. One of my obsessions in the last year. Um, and if you haven't caught that film, a much different side of Jamie Dornan, what are you doing with your life? Go check that one out, too. 
uh, truly the various colors of Jamie Dornan have been shown in the last year plus in film. Um, and he's just, you know, Jamie's an easy guy to talk to, a fun guy to talk to, just, um, uh, you know, he, he's definitely one of my favorites, so I'm, I'm very, very happy for him and all the success that he's experiencing. Fingers crossed he may even get an Oscar nomination out of this. I would not be shocked at all. And, um, yeah, check out Belfast, and, and, I, and I hope you guys enjoy the chat today with Jamie. I know you will. Um, there's a ton going on for me professionally and stuff. I mean, there's just, like, so much happening. I did a Q&A last night here in New York City um, with Bradley Cooper. That was fantastic. He, Bradley, of course, is in not only Nick, uh, Licorice Pizza, uh, one of my favorite movies of last year, but in Nightmare Alley, front and center in that film, uh, of course, directed by Guillermo del Toro, who was on the podcast a few weeks back as well. Uh, the film is currently in some theaters in a black and white form. I've seen it in both color and black and white. It's gorgeous in both. The black and white is actually like a real treat. Um, this film is, of course, a, a, a tried and true film noir, and it's only fitting that you can see it in its true essence and like, you know, just like ultra gorgeous black and white cinematography. Um, so whether you want it in the traditional color or if you want to see it kind of like true to its noir roots, uh, check out Nightmare Alley. Um, you know, I don't know if they, I don't know if the conversation with Bradley is going to be available. I know they did record it. The Fox people did record it. So I will definitely let you guys know if that becomes available somewhere. Um, you know, on a personal note, it was really cool to catch up with Bradley. Um, I haven't, I haven't talked to him in years and it sounds crazy to talk like, oh, you know, when's the last time I caught up with Bradley Cooper? But the truth is, my, the beginning part of my career, about 15 years ago, when I was starting at MTV um, and doing, you know, in-person interviews, um, that kind of coincided with Bradley Cooper's explosion, um, right, coming kind of right off of Wedding Crashers and then into the Hangover movies um, through his performance in Silver Linings Playbook. It just like all like, you know, um, really snowballed for him. And there was a time where I was talking to him all the time. And uh, it was really touching and sweet that, like, you know, he, when he saw me, he, like, he, was, he was kind of nostalgic for it. He, he was like, you know, we used to talk all the time. Like, I haven't seen you in so, so long. Like, and that's really, you know, I, 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 I found that just really, um, you know, this guy has a lot going on, to say the least, and has experienced, like, the, 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 the utmost success you can, can have in the industry and the fact that he... Uh, connected with me in that real way and was, you know, up for, for reminiscing meant a lot to me. Not to mention, I mean, um, the guy is just fantastic in Nightmare Alley and also just knows his stuff. Like, we, we were really chit-chatting a lot beforehand about his upcoming um, second directing effort. He's going to be directing a film called Maestro that he is deep in pre-production on. Um, and he was giving me some some tantalizing tidbits about the casting to come in that that I cannot share right now. But I'm so... Again, so happy for, for Bradley and, and where his career's gone and, and the fact that he is now, like, I mean, the fact that he is charting his own path in this unique way um, and collaborating with the likes of Guillermo del Toro. Anyway, I hope hopefully that conversation will be able to be shared with you guys at some point. It was in, in a, a live theater environment. Um, but as I said, I know they recorded it. So hopefully it will emerge for all of you guys to enjoy. What else can I mention? Hmm, hmm, hmm. I don't know. Lots of cool stuff coming. Some MTV conversations happening. Um, nothing I can really pinpoint right now. Yeah, I, I guess I, I won't. I won't tease anything that hasn't been recorded yet. But there's a lot, a lot to come in the next few days. So by the time we talk next week, um, I'll have more to say. 
In the meantime, let's just get right to the main event. Uh, Jamie Dornan, the charming star, one of the stars of Belfast, and this is a guy born and raised in Belfast, so true to his roots, exciting to see uh, the prodigal son come home to film this ode to his own past and to Kenneth Branagh's past. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this chat. Here's me and Jamie Dornan. Finally, at long last, Jamie Dornan. Jamie, I don't know what, I guess it's, this is the price you pay for being in a classy movie, is you finally have to do the podcast. Welcome to Happy Sad Confused, buddy. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> he is uh, well hydrated. He just showed off his four chocolate biscuits that I've never, I've never wished my hand could reach through a screen more than right now. I'm going to start with the first chocolate biscuit right now. <laughs> Are you one of these people that just genetically can eat anything they want and that they will never put on the weight? Um, good, good, good call on shoving a biscuit in your mouth as the podcast started. <laughs> um, I'm someone who would struggle to put on weight. Um, and uh, I know to many people that's not um, an affliction, <laughs> but I find it to be. Um, having someone who always always played a lot of sport, particularly as a kid, and often played, you know, my main sport was rugby, where you needed to be bigger, and I always felt like the skinny kid who couldn't do it, even though I played well, but I um, always felt that was holding me back. So it always bothered me that um, I can't put on weight, and I'm still a bit like that now. I um, I, think, I guess most, not most people, 99.9% right. people find it very lucky to have fast metabolism stuff, and I've always not liked it well I, I, look i'll take any kind of um self-loathing i can get i mean if it just if it's the other direction for me that's okay as long as there is loathing and and a feeling of in inadequacy then then i'm good yeah good well then you, you're covered with this <laughs> so um congratulations on belfast for the gajillionth time um i assume this doesn't get old but uh Look, you've been in every kind of project, every kind of reviews in your career, every kind of like good, bad, medium accolades. But this is the one that I feel like, you know, we're we're always chasing. Actors are always chasing. This is the one that like really checks all the boxes. Does it feel like in some ways this is kind of like, oh yeah, this is what I've been kind of like racing after for, for 15, 20 years? Yeah, sort of, you know, it's kind of like... Um... You sort of don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, look, it's easy to say that now because of the response. But like, yeah, let's look at it like from the beginnings of like the origins of it, like being sent the script, being told it's Kenneth Branagh writing and directing it. It's Dame Judi Dench is playing your mother, Kieran Hines playing your dad, Katrina Bath is playing your wife. Um, I only knew about one of it. I only knew about Judi Dench at the beginning when it came to me. That alone is enough to be like, oh Jesus, you know this this might be something, you know, hopefully it is, the script's incredible. If we get this right, it could really be something. But even then, you never know. You know, I've had situations where I felt brilliant about something on set and then, you know, it hasn't had, it had love, but maybe not the love we were expecting, whatever it is. So with um, with hindsight, maybe it's easier to say because there has been so much love for this. But, um, you know, I, I've always, you know, it, it, your job is so much easier if you've got, good words to say I'm a good director I mean it's as simple as that you know and um I feel that that's what's happened here you know um and it's happened a few times before for me but you know I think I, I always kind of live by that Peter O'Toole quote of great words make great actors you know and, and yep. I think if you've got to a certain level you're obviously got something to offer and then 
so that when and then when those good opportunities come your way, you know, you, you, you take them and, and hope that people respond. Well, and as you well know, it's so much is out of the control, even if you make the great film that you're so proud of for okay. any number of a thousand reasons, the wrong distributor, the wrong time, whatever, no one ever sees it. So, like, again, this one just thankfully resonated, resonated at the festivals, found an audience, continues to find an audience. So it's just blessing upon blessing, I would think. Yeah, it was just a combination of all those things and timing being everything. And, and yeah, your timing being everything from, you know, even as simple as like me being Ken, the lockdown happening and him giving, giving him the space to write a story that's based on his life that's been in his head for 50 years and me being the right age and at the right stage in my career, whatever that I made sense, you know, all those things, you know, it's all, it's about all of that. You know, I'd be, I, if I was in between ages for the characters in this and I saw that this was made, I'd be like, Oh, how annoying. They're making a, a movie right. about my hometown and I'm not right for it. You know? So it's a combination of all that luck and timing, but it's, it's, it's a good feeling. Is the rumor true that, that Ken just basically Googled Belfast actor and your, your name just happened to pop up? <laughs> it is. Ah, uh, true. Yeah. Um, it's not, my whole, you know, um, aim in life is to never get outside that sort of top three famous Belfast actors um, list because... Are I there rankings that, that move around? Do you like check the current rankings day by day? Yeah, it's usually, you know, between uh, Liam Neeson and me hopping back and forth, depending on what releases we have, you know. Um, but if I drop out of that top three, I'm screwed because that is how they cast movies. No. <laughs> do you, is it is it poor form or we or a weird thing to ask a director like why you cast me? What did you see in me? What did you want <laughs> for me? Is that is that Not for me? It's sort of question I ask every single director. Um, uh, yeah, for, particularly for someone like Ken, because when I was said like he wants you to he's making a film called Belfast. He'd love you to uh, do it. Um, we're going to send you a script tonight. Uh, read it as fast as you can. Whatever. I read it that night. Spoke to Ken the next day. Said yes immediately. And um, I, for that sort of thing, because it's kind of brown and we're talking about, you know, an absolute legend in the industry and stuff. I, there is a part of you thinking like, is this some sort of mistake? Does he think I'm somebody else? Um, and then, because it was really like, he wants you to, you're the guy, like he's not talking to anyone else. Okay. And then I sort of read the script thinking, how small is this part going to be? I mean, this is going to be thing, right? Yeah. You know, and by the way, would have been fine with that. Sure. Um, and then realized how big it was and went, Jesus, right? Okay, this is serious. And then to my utter amazement, Ken had seen everything I'd ever done. And I mean, small stuff that you, know, you probably haven't even seen, like everything. And uh, still wanted me after seeing all that stuff. So um, <laughs> I was amazed by the whole thing, but um, thank God he, he, he did. Um, I talked to your buddy, Katrina Balf on the podcast pretty recently. I asked her a version of this that I'll ask you, uh, you know, as people know by now, I'm sure this is obviously a very personal story for Ken and based on his own life growing up, his parents. Um, when you're approaching the father character, is it is it a blend of his dad, what's in the script, your own father, um, and where the, they all meet? Give me a sense of sort of the, that, that kind of magical blend. Yeah, I think it is, ends up being, you know, a sort of um, an Irish stew of different influences. Um, but it really does essentially boiled. I've got to get off uh, cooking analogies, but it does boil down to... Um, <laughs> You've got three more minutes waiting for you. You're really... 
<laughs> the very root of that, um, Stu, is um, is the script. You know, that is that is what that is all we have um, to go on to begin with, and then everything's built around that and and your own influences. And certainly, my dad was an influence on on the character I played, and his dad before him, and everything I knew about. I come from a long line of men from Belfast, so um, I have a lot to to mine there. Um, and then it's uh, you know the access to Ken to be you know to be able to ask him what his father would have how he would have responded in this situation. And but then the great thing about it, and I'm sure uh, you know Katrina said the same, was that Ken was never trying to sort of iron fist us into kind of like this is who my parents were. You must act like this. It was very much giving us the freedom to do what we wanted to with it and. That is a massive thing, Josh. Like that is so huge as an actor. Like that's all you're, all you're looking for, really. I believe is to feel uh, that you're trusted, and with that trust, you gain a confidence and a freedom that makes doing your job so much easier. Like it's it's night and day between. I've been involved in stuff where I have felt the opposite of that. I felt that. There's lots of people whispering behind thinking they made a bad decision and I shouldn't be there. And it is uh, paralyzing that experience, truly paralyzing. And, and I, uh, well, uh, I was going to say, I, I would imagine it's because, because that version of it that you didn't have is like, you're chasing something unattainable, something, a vision in someone else's brain that can't yeah. be communicated. And yeah. at least in this kind of collaborative um, relationship, it's you're a part of the process as opposed to like guessing at what someone wants and exactly. isn't seeing exactly i think you said it well like fighting against something or fighting against an opinion of a director fighting against a script fighting against uh what the character's doing and or you know how how what your um take on it can sometimes be very different to the filmmakers take even though that's not what seemed to be before you started shooting right. you know? And stuff but it was just very cohesive this whole thing for we all felt like we were uh in tune with each other at all times the actors all of them and 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 ken it was just always very like there was zero friction on set at any given time and that your your whole experience and usually the outcome is going to be better if that's the case you mentioned your dad and you, you know, you, you've been frank about this and talking about, uh, you know, my condolences, man, you lost your dad last year. I know. I mean, I know what that's like. I lost my dad uh, the year before. Um, and it's, uh, you know, a sea change needles to say, I'm, I'm curious in talking, in talking about him in this process, has it been cathartic? Has it been helpful or, or it could go the other way, I suppose, but clearly it's, it's, it's helping you in some way. Yeah, I think it has been. Um, I probably stopped crying during Q&A so much now. Um, uh, when we first took it to Telluride uh, and we got such an unbelievable initial response to the film and it was just Ken and I then. Katrina uh, had just had her baby and uh, Kieran and Judy hadn't traveled over yet and Jude wasn't arrived. It was, so it was just the two of us and we had a lot of, <laughs> between Ken and I, we both cried at every single Q&A we did. Um, but often, it, for me, it was almost always, you know, related to, to dad and, and the pain of him not being able to see this film, but also the comfort of knowing that he, I was making it, I was making it with the people I was making it with and all the hope that he would have had and that he did have for that. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's been 
cathartic and 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 in a way helpful to be bringing this film of all films out and to be talking about it so much in in the in the passing months uh after we've lost them but you know that the you know as well as anyone the grieving process is um unpredictable and um i've been through i lost my mom when i was young and i've been through it before but i'm a different a different age and stage and a father myself obviously now and it it changes everything also because of the circumstances of covid and i didn't hadn't seen my dad since christmas 2019 because of restrictions and and um and uh we haven't been able to you know have a we haven't had a funeral for my dad yet you know yeah. we're, we're, on, we're uh 10 months um uh exactly now so um it's 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 diff it, it's difficult to sort of contextualize how I'm dealing with it or what it is, but I think it's probably only been a good thing that I'm able to talk about a movie that would be so close to my dad because of where he was from and who he was, but also have that movie <laughs> have the response to that movie. You know, if I was sitting doing some movie that um you know in the in the in the passing months and year after his death that I was having to front up and do press all the time for something that was getting destroyed and had uh, no significant meaning to him, it would be a very different story. Sure. Well, let, let's talk about some of your uh, lovely co-stars because you, you, you were gifted with a, an amazing ensemble here. You've mentioned them all already. Um, anybody that knows me knows I positively adore Katrina Balfe. She's the best. Yeah. Um, surprised to hear when I was researching today that you got your, your paths never crossed. You didn't get that Outlander audition, man. You weren't in the top uh, three there. No, I was, uh, they, they typed in top three Scottish famous actors, I think, for that one. And Sam, Sam's probably up there, yeah. uh, you know, besides Sean Connery somewhere, um, who was too old at the time of the beginning of that. To, to... It would have been a choice. It would have been interesting. Yeah. An 80-year-old Sean Connery. Yeah. Um, I don't kill me. I've yet to see Outlander too. I've never seen it. Um, so I feel, I feel bad. I don't, Katrina had never seen the fall until we were, what, until we were shooting. So we, we weren't, we're not big fans of each other's work, <laughs> but you know, if, if the only thing I obviously will see some of Katrina's work, but in a lovely way, all I know of Katrina Balfe as an actor is in Belfast where she gives one of the most stunning performances I've seen. So it's a, it, for, for my money, she's like the best actor in the world. Um, but yeah, you know, she was just, what can I say about Katrina? I mean, she's a powerhouse, you know, um, she is, but she brings such a, a, a lightness in her, in her human interaction and the way she is naturally, but then has this, absolute steeliness and grit yes you can just switch to you know and you you can become fearful of her very quickly <laughs> and that is a massive um gain doing this for a living you know for her to have that in her armory is incredible and i've said this before but if i could do every job with katrina balf my my career would be um i'd be really happy and uh you know you know i don't i don't i feel like the work would always be good and would always have a good time, you know, but it's incredible. We've had a, we do have a very similar background, you know, and we both are people from the same part of the world, a tiny part of the world who went off and were modeling in, in mostly in New York and uh, for, you know, pretty much at the same time, there's maybe she was two years ahead of me, probably. Um, I'm, I, we did meet at TIFF. We met at TIFF about three years ago 
Uh, we both had different films there and we met, we were introduced very quickly. And uh, I remember thinking, God, she's tall and I couldn't work with her based on her height. Um, not that I'm short, but she's very tall. You know, she's no, it's annoying. And I was so wrong, you know, um, but- uh, Well, it's big of you to look past that um, Yeah, that you know, it was obviously when I heard that it was gonna be her, I was a bit, like, a bit tall. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll let her go. She's good at acting, but um, yeah, it's crazy. Our past. I remember hearing that there was a model from Monaghan uh, who was like had lots of similar uh, friends to me in New York and stuff, and I I sort of just didn't believe it, and for whatever reason, we never crossed paths. And 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 which of the three Fifty Shades films is Judy Dench's favorite? Did she tell you how she ranks them? She liked she liked uh, Freed because she just said she was happy it was over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by all accounts, I've only talked to Judy Dench, I think, once in, in my illustrious career, and it was very briefly, but by all accounts, she's she's the best. She's like just disarms you and is just like comes to play. Yeah, that's exactly right. Those two things are perfectly put, you know, and it's really lovely. Uh, as an actor, I was not a young actor anymore, but I'm you know, I'm I'm younger than Judy. Um to have someone like that, someone so iconic to see the way she approaches it, which is to, you know, have done all the work, but leave it behind and be totally relaxed on set. We're all shitting ourselves to a point, obviously, anyway, but like, but trying to keep yourself I, as relaxed as possible. It's much easier to act if you're, if you're relaxed and um, to see someone like Judy being like that and be in the middle of a story when someone shouts turnover and to then fall in line beautifully between action and cut and then as soon as you hear cut go back to telling your story you know like it's like that is that is 90 99 of actors i work with are like that but sometimes you'll see someone who has um quite a, a more of a methodical approach maybe right. and to the point where you're going should i be banging my head against the wall like that and making those noises am i sorry is it will that help me and then you see someone who's not doing that who's of that caliber and you think no it's okay what works yeah. for me seems to work it's working for her and we're all good now not to say that every person's life uh and childhood is worthy of a film but i'm curious if you look back at your own childhood what genre of film is the jamie dornan adolescent story is it, is it comedy is it horror is it uh, an erotic thriller what are we what are we looking at Um, I think it's probably some kind of, um, family comedy. Um, it's probably, my dad was a huge Steve Martin fan. And the only time we went to cinema trips as a family was to see exclusively to see Steve Martin movies. So in my head, it's like a sort of family drama, Steve Martin type vibe, you know, like a, like a parenthood type thing where, um, I actually remember watching Parenthood a lot as a kid and um, going to see it in cinema and one of the kids, uh, I think I'm right in saying he was asthmatic and um, uh, I was asthmatic and I still am asthmatic and I remember sort of really identifying with him and there's another kid who was really, he used to like 
put a bucket over his head and bash it against the wall and stuff. And I think I had a bit of that sort of hyper in it. I was very hyper as, as a kid, but well behaved, I think. But like I had a lot of energy. Still, I have a lot of energy and I'm not good with being still. Um, so I think it was probably, yeah, I'm going to say like a Steve Martin family comedy type type vibe. Um, well, it's good to know that, that that you had good taste running in your blood from the start. And that gives us a good segue into, I, I do want to talk a little bit about formative films for us. And this wasn't necessarily one you saw as an adolescent, but mm. it is a comedy. And when yes. I asked you for a comfort movie, I don't, I don't know what's in the air, by the way, Jamie, but we are on, a, on an Adam McKay kick. I just spoke, um, who was the actor that just uh, uh, chose... Um, 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 the most recent one, not, oh my God, I'm totally blanking. Uh, not Vice, not, oh, it was The Big Short. Someone chose yeah. The Big Short, it'll come to me. But anyway, you chose a different Adam McKay film, more traditional uh, 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 comedic variety of Adam McKay. Tell us what you chose and why. I chose Anchorman uh, because I think if you really like tallied it up, it's probably the film I've seen most in my life. Um, which is saying something because it was probably you know i was in my 20s when when it was when it was made um it was just at a particular time in london when i i hadn't just moved to london but you know i've been in london a while and that had come out and it had big impact on me and i i still think it's kind of perfect but there was a particular time i honestly i put it on every day i mean i really did and it's like it became like a language and you could communicate through quotes from Anchorman. Right. But remember, there's a real, a particularly real, like, uh, sweet spot of that where you'd meet people in different, wherever you were in the world, and something would happen and someone would say, hey, lady in the red hat or, or something, or like, <laughs> or milk was a bad choice, or, you know, just some unbelievable line from that movie. And then you're in, it's like, it was like a conversation starter. And, there's so much collective love for that film and um you know and then everyone had an opinion on the sort of the the sort of lost movie that they made up out of outtakes and stuff that right. I like, hands on once and then of oh, should there be an anchorman 2 and and all of that and once there was that did we think that they should have made that all of that you know stuff around that movie um so for me, I, I, I would still, if it, it's a bit of a go-to for me, if I just don't know what I want to watch and not in the mood to tackle anything new and not in the mood to tackle anything heavy, I will take it on. You're also getting those guys in their absolute pump, not that they're not still doing brilliant work. In fact, sure. we just finished The Shrink Next Door, which has obviously yep. and Paul Rudd in it, who are both an anchorman. But there's, it feels like anchorman just came at a time when they were just just every beat they did was like hilarious, you know. Um, well, it is, it is, it's, I think it's interesting because when you look back, I think it was the big, it was a big shift for Rudd. Um, yeah. Certainly that started like a run of comedy for him, but for, for, for Farrell, and I, I, you'll find no bigger fan of Will Farrell. He just makes me laugh. He's just like the funniest human on the planet. And he, his specialty, I would argue, is the confident idiot. And there's no greater just like bombastic yeah. idiot yeah. Ron Burgundy. It is just oh. Apex Will Ferrell. Totally, totally. It was Apex Will Ferrell. And also Christina Applegate. Oh my God. Like for me, her performance is just like, I, well, I would say that the casting in general in that film is so perfect. But she has so many moments with Will Ferrell, as we've said before, in his absolute pomp, where 
my, my takeaway is is what she's doing often in, in well, yeah, and she's her she, reacting to some of that ridiculousness that he's doing is just priceless and i i will i i love her for that and you know i just think the collective of those actors of the news team you know um like we, we didn't know that much about steve carell then no sure and brick oh my god brick's an all-timer brick is that, well, like you know genius the way he formed that character you know totally i mean how many quotes of brick do we have you know it's, well, is there one scene it's hard to pick because there, there are dozens in there is there one scene that sticks out for you it's very hard to look past the you know uh 60 of the time it works every time scene with the with the cologne and um or <laughs> other than that um i think that's a you know probably my favorite moment i love um uh the the fight the the initial fight when vince Vaughn and, and the you know take your mother out for a nice seafood dinner just you can tell those guys are just riffing and i've seen stuff where behind the scenes stuff where adam mckay is literally shouting out lines to them and they're just and you know and that, that it's amazing to see that and just aid them not to crack up when they hear those lines and still deliver them the way they do i experienced that a bit when we did barb and star sure golden vista del mar which will ferrell um uh produced and adam mckay produced um and Josh Greenbaum, our director now, who's an absolute legend, uh, we did a bit of that. We did a lot of improv in that uh, movie, as you can probably tell. And um, uh, we did scenes like that where Josh was just shouting out stuff. And half the battle was just like... <laughs> Taking it in for a second and then like refocusing. Literally, and then, like, yeah. don't, 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 don't make guys with Kristen and Annie. Just don't, don't <laughs> fucking, you know, cast their eye right now. Let's just try to, try to take it on and then breathe and then get that line out yep. if you can. There was a lot of that. So I've, I've, I'm so lucky. I feel that I've got to experience a sense of what that is, you know, and uh, it's an amazing feeling. I got a chance finally to catch up with Kristen after a long while and profess my love for that film. You know how obsessed I am <laughs> with it. Um, so that must, I mean, now knowing how much you revere that kind of comedy and that, uh, and Anchorman in particular, um, must feel all the more satisfying that you're in one of those movies now. You you get that sense already that this has become an instant cult classic. Yeah, and I'm just, you know, trying not to like, text Kristen and Annie every day to tell them to write a, a sequel. Um, that's your mind, I need to text them to tell them to write a sequel. <laughs> um, but uh, um, yeah, I, we did a Q&A virtually, of course, um, at some point when Barbara Starr came out and Will, Will, <laughs> calling Will, I literally haven't met the guy, but Will Farrell um, compared it. And I really had a moment of going like, this is nuts. Like, this is nuts to, for, also it's my first comedy to be surrounded by such esteemed company and such titans and geniuses of comedy. Um, and I remember thinking that a tactic of mine with that, um, with that um, interview should be not to speak. <laughs> <laughs> don't screw it up for you in the future just, yeah. just <laughs> do not speak blame blame a dodgy wi-fi connection or something or just go guys i'm sorry I'm, i can't hear you but i'm i'll just you guys are great. <laughs> um but i you know because i just thought oh my god like it's one thing you know i i, I had time with Kristen and annie um 
to build a relationship with them where they let me in and they let me in really quickly, thankfully, and they find me funny and I find them obviously hilarious. And But suddenly Will Ferrell was in this um, thing and I was like, oh shit, right, he's not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to try to make him laugh, you know. But um, yeah, what a treat and, and, and to experience that at that level with those people. And I really do truly hope we get to make more of those movies. They're so fun. I really hope so as well. Just for the record, my, my brain freeze I want to account for. It was John Cena of all people that chose the big short as his comfort movie. Oh, really? That, kind oh. of fascinating, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm curious. Okay, so going back uh, career-wise, um, we're not going to detail every facet of the illustrious modeling career, but I'm curious, once you segue out of modeling um, into acting, and I, you know, I think Marie Antoinette was the debut, correct? Yeah. So a hell of a debut, obviously, with Sofia Coppola. Um, I'm just curious, like, do you remember in those early years, like, were there good aspects of, of modeling, of technique, of knowing your own body, et cetera, that you could apply to acting? Or was there more baggage you had to kind of like unlearn? I think it's not like, I, well, listen, I'll say this. It's not like I never acted. I, you know, I did loads of drama at school. I, I used to do uh, youth theater back in Belfast, you know, so it, it had been something that I had within me anyway and experience of. I do think there's something really um, um, useful about being in front of any sort of camera. Um, particularly, I feel, you know, for film and television acting, a lot of it is a bit of a dance with the camera sometimes and a movement. It's not, and it's not a, it's not a, oh, if I move here to my, this is my good side, I'm going to look better. But like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's almost the other way. It's almost like a, 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 a a comfortableness that you get from being in front of the camera where it's not weird particularly close-up stuff or usually you're often when you're doing photo shoots and the camera's right in your face and it's actually just being comfortable with that and right. not like you know seizing up and, yes. and you know and that that weird technique like stuff like that is important because sometimes acting is a funny game and you can turn up on set and i've seen this where um, you know, directors have, have loved like an audition tape or whatever it is. And then for someone who's like a day player and they're coming in doing a day and then on set, there's something happens to them and they freak out and they're suddenly just really um, nervous and or uh, seemingly unprepared, even though, you know, it's usually like a nerve thing. So actually that understanding of a camera and being okay with something that is capturing you, uh, I think it's a, it's a help. But then yeah. on the other side, you have the whole stigma attached to this guy got his photograph taken for a living, so he can't act, you know, uh, which you're uh, battling, you know, in, yeah. you know battling in, particularly in those early years. Um, but not so much. I think I feel like I battled more with that in the UK. And I think in the States and the first time I came to L.A., they're cooler about it. It's more it's a, that's more of a. Um, uh, it's more of a accepted pathway in than in UK where it's all about how um, much time you spent on the boards, et cetera. Yeah, and Rada. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, uh, as people probably know by now, I'm always fascinated by this, by the, by the early friend groups and the groups that like end up succeeding. It seems like you were hanging out with like the, every superhero that's now working. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> it's kind of insane. Um, yeah. Um, I actually just did the podcast yesterday with Andrew Garfield for, for one. And I know he put your buddies with, with Redmayne and Pattinson. Um, I'm just curious, like in that group, like, give me a sense of the dynamics. I'm just curious, like, was there one that was like, okay, this is, this is the one, the, the, the guy in, this guy in the group is going to be the, 
the big yeah. star? Like, was there an internal kind of like acknowledgement of who was going to go where? Yeah, that was Garfield. Yeah, that was Garfield. We were always, I remember when I, I I'll never forget that I, I, I met Andrew. I hadn't seen any of his work at that we were, we were very young. Um, and I'm a year uh, older than, than Garf, but it was, um, I think it was probably, I met Eddie 2005 uh, and I met Garf, I think later that year, maybe 2006. Um, and I hadn't seen, had Boy A came out? I'm not sure if it came out yet, but maybe it had and I, I sort of missed it or whatever. But I remember that night I was with um, Eddie and uh, a guy called Tom Sturridge, who's a good friend of ours, sure. and, and, and a few other um, guys and girls. And Garth was going to come and meet us, and I didn't. And he was, they were talking about him in this way of, like, you know, Marlon Brando's about to, yeah, young Marlon Brando's about to join us, grace us with his presence. That was kind of the way it was a bit like, this guy's such an actor, and we're not really. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, so I remember he came with this sort of tag of like, this guy's unbelievable, and um, he's going to really, you know, make stuff happen. And, you know, instantly just a total goofball, accessible, slightly ridiculous person. And, and, and <laughs> you know, but like an unbelievable talent. I mean, Garth and I have our own language. I mean, we genuinely talk to each other in a, that if you're with us and, and uh, it's probably quite painful to be around. Um, uh, I think James Corden realized that when we had us both on the show <laughs> a couple months ago. Can we, we just bring out all our silliness in each other and I, I love it. Um, but I, I think he, he was—he just seemed like the sure bet that was just going to make stuff happen and, and go on and do good things. And like you know, it, it, it took a while for all of us to find sort of the right. Everyone has their own path in this, and you know, but find the right thing that would break you or whatever it is. And and uh, but in a weird way, it kind of did. It has at this point worked out for all of us, and um, I know that it, it that shouldn't have been the case in a way you know like we shouldn't have all you know we've all been in big franchises and you know it's kind of mad now when i think back to like being in la in like 2008 and we sincerely weren't making progress that's <laughs> <laughs> really why particularly wasn't but um we were, you know there for a few months together where nothing was happening right really nothing you know so and there was no it wasn't the writer's strike. There wasn't a pandemic. No <laughs> excuses. <laughs> just, we're not, we're, no, it's a hard it's, pass on Garfield. Yeah, <laughs> totally. No, it was mad. But, you know. So, uh, you know, I joked about this. You, you, you've obviously, you have, you, you've had your billion dollar franchise, but you haven't had your superhero role, which is kind of unusual in, in this day and age for someone that of your ilk that would seemingly have that. Mm -hmm. um, is there one that like you desperately wanted? Do you, is there, is there one audition that jumps out at you for, you must've, done a dozen superhero auditions, I gotta think. I sort of haven't, you know, I think almost, uh, I think the only one I've actually auditioned for was Superman. Um, that was way back when, that's when Henry Cavill got cast. Um, that's probably 12 years ago or something, maybe more, you tell me, I don't know. Did, like, did you did you get the suit on? Did, did you feel like you were actually in the running? No, but I wore my own suit there. Was that a mistake? <laughs> your underoos, your little. That might just, have been. That might have been a bad call, man. Yeah, they were Superman pajamas. They weren't actually like an actual suit. Um, no, I remember. You know, early audition for that. Um, 
I got nowhere near putting the suit on. Um, and I actually don't think I've been, you know, I've, I've had meetings with heads of studios that do those things and we talked about it, but um, I never got deep into any audition process for any of them back in the day. And I feel like now um, the last few ones, I wouldn't say there was a big audition process for, to, uh, you know, too many of, you know, A, I'm too old now for, for Spider-Man. Um, I remember I did a screen test for uh, Uncharted years ago. Oh, sure. Years ago, when it was a, uh, they were going to make it with different director and everything, and then uh, <laughs> and it went well. And there was a point where it looked like maybe I was doing it or whatever. And then um, and then it all went quiet, went away, and the director <laughs> fell off and blah blah. And then when I heard they were going to make it again, I was like, oh great! And he said, oh no, no, you're far too old now. <laughs> Tom Holland, wait, he could oh, be right, yeah. <laughs> I'm old, there's half your age just doing it. Um, a legitimate movie star, and I was like, all right, okay, well, listen, you know, that ship sailed. Um, but uh, I don't, I wouldn't pin like one that I yeah. prefer to do. It, it, if something came along, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in that world, but I'm also really happy where I am. And you know, um, they're probably not looking at you know, uh, the sort of performance of Belfast and the quietness of that sort of film and thinking let's shove a cape on that guy and throw him up into uh, a harness but uh, who knows. In, in a different respect and I'm always fascinated by the reaction I get from different um, actors when I bring up the name Bond. Some of them clam up, some of them are like I'm not going to say a fucking word to you. <laughs> I don't want to just jeopardize any chance. And some are like, yeah, that would be amazing. Where do you fall? Like, you must have daydreamed. You've been on those lists, whether it's real or not. Um, it must be just flattering beyond words to even be on a list for, for like the ultimate cool hero. <laughs> yeah, I think it's flattering to be on a list, sure. Um, but, but we're all on a list. You know, we're all on the list. If you're a certain age, a certain type, whatever, you're, yeah. you're kind of on there. There's been times I've been close to the top of that list, and there's times I've been close to the what might be the bottom of the an endless list. Um, I, you know, that I that that really does work with whoever has a movie that people are talking about or TV show that people are talking about. Right. You're you're higher up that list, or then you get people just on it all the time. Like, I know Tom Hardy's forever on it. Killian is forever on it. You know. Um, yeah, it's it's cool. I don't. I like it. You know, it, it's um, it's something that I I don't give any thought to, to yeah. be honest. Um, and you know, if if it came along, yeah, I mean, it would be certainly something to think about. But um, I don't think about it until I wouldn't think about it until it's uh, a vague reality. Right. I'm curious. Okay, so like you're an intelligent man, Mr. Dornan. When yeah, when very- <laughs> when 50 shades when your franchise your potential ginormous franchise which indeed became a ginormous billion dollar franchise came around um you knew the baggage that was going to be there for mm-hmm. good or for bad you knew there was a built-in audience and it was probably going to do huge it was also going to probably and indeed was savaged by a lot of critics yeah um was there was there a tremendous amount of ambivalence like were people around you were your friends and family and agents all like you got to do this if the opportunity comes or was it a, a a big kind of debate within your circle it wasn't an instant yes um by any means um for all of the reasons you've just said it needed to be talked through um 
I sought counsel from friends, family, a lot of friends, uh, actors. Um, what did Garfield say? What? Did, <laughs> let's go down the list. What did Red Mace? He was too busy to swing it around New York. I think at that, that time with his little <laughs> web hand. <laughs> um, but you know, it's nice to have people like that in close in your life who will have an opinion and and uh, a, a you know um, uh, one that that I that I um, think is uh, expert almost. Um, you know, I was I sort of nearly did it and then didn't get it. And I've said this before that when I didn't get it, I felt a bit of relief because I was like, Jesus, that guy, poor guy, he's going to get wrecked here. <laughs> you know, um, and then he maybe felt the same. <laughs> and then suddenly there was, and um, but with way less time to make a decision. Yeah. I got cast five weeks before we started shooting and my wife was... 34 weeks pregnant and uh, we had a lot of massive decisions to make very quickly. It was a crazy time now when I, when I, when I think about it, but yeah, you're right. Look, I knew, you know, I knew cause I'd thought about it before when I was nearly got it the first time when Charlie got it. I knew that uh, it came with all that baggage, as you say, and that the reality was it was going to make a ton of money and fans were going to love it. And the critics were going to despise it because that's exactly what happened with the books. And we, that's what we were making. We, we weren't going, well, that's a bit of a template, but we're going to do this whole different thing and change a lot of stuff about the book. We were staying very truthful to the books. So we knew what that was going to be. But I think movies that are made for the fans that the fans love can only be seen as a success really, you know, and, um, I'm really grateful that um, both Dakota and I have, you know, despite some pretty rough stuff said about us, probably particularly me, um, uh, with the way we've managed to come out and we're still making work that people really like. And I've had some of those uh, sort of said critics do a bit of a 180, you know, and yeah. particularly in the last few weeks because I've had the show in the UK that's come out and been a massive success called The Tourist that will come to the States pretty soon. And uh, I had a nice moment where you were talking about like friends and family saying stuff and people say it's a mistake. When I got cast in Fifty Shades, um, the fall had come out, got a great reception, been nominated for a BAFTA, all this great stuff had happened and then they announced that in Fifty Shades. There was a, a journalist in The Guardian, was a big paper in the UK, called Lucy Mangan, who wrote a whole article about what a terrible career choice I'd made. This before I'd even shot the thing. <laughs> I'm there thinking, Jesus, right, okay, so that's the general vibe, you know. Um, anyway, Lucy Mangan wrote a piece last week about how it's all sort of, not that she got it wrong or whatever, but like, you know, because of Belfast and the tourist, sure. she liked them both and maybe... You know, maybe it wasn't all the stupidest move in the world and blah, blah, blah. Um, which I, I did have a little, like, some nice little moment reading that <laughs> article, I have to say. Because as much as you think you don't care, you kind of do. You know, you kind of do care. Um, when you feel it, I'm sure you feel it, whether you're actively seeking out the reviews or not, you feel the general. You no, know, I went through a phase of really actively seeking them out. And actually, I once found this thing where someone had put like all the worst things said about me from the first Fifty Shades movie into like a neat little like uh, Instagram post. Oh, how convenient. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? Like, what? And I would look at it all the time. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I agreed with a lot of it. That's a sad thing. <laughs> um, it occurs to me, I'm sitting here and I've got my, um, I think I told you this last time you were on the show when you were on Stir Crazy. I have, this, oh. is the, this is the Dakota Johnson um, be in the butt uh, question mug. In her did honor. You, uh, did you? I think you told me you're going to send me one. Did you? No. Did, I'll get you one. You've earned it. You've earned it. Are they, no, are I, they big sellers? <laughs> we haven't sold them to. This is a this is a hot commodity just for okay. friends and family. I'll get you one. Oh uh, no, but I'm so happy for both of you guys. I think I feel like you both obviously like you had the right attitude. That self-deprecating humor probably got you through a lot of it, and I'm so happy for for both of you. Um, you told you talk when you I saw an interview you did with uh your buddy Eddie Redmayne. I think about a year ago, and you talked about how it's like dangerous to have a plan right as an actor um mm. i mean that being said i look at the, the last few years as you start to do stuff after the 50 shades movies and it does feel like there's some kind of plan in place whether it's you know just associating with like great actors like killian um yeah. with, with with dinklage um doing smaller cool work like like a private war like i mean what was in your head like that coming off of that was there a sense of like what I need to kind of show people I can do outside of something like that yeah I think you're right like I think it's like it's it, like it, it, I, I, it's still really hard to plan it's almost like it's hard to plan it in a like particularly having three kids having to be like right I love this job but it's six months and it's in right buck two you know I'm going like Jesus um it's so hard to plan ahead and so there's a sense of that and actually planning the actual work it's easier when you have a choice, I've got to say, and I've been lucky now for eight years or whatever. I've had a bit of a choice of um, the work I do. And yeah, of course, there's a bit, it's often just like, what am I drawn to? And maybe it is, there's a sort of natural sense of like, well, I've just done something like this and I feel like I haven't really shown this side of myself, but I love this script. So it's not just, I'm not doing it just to show that side of myself. I really want to do it. Um, by having that choice, I've been able to make those decisions. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, and um, yeah, there's probably a bit of um, rebuilding again, based on what I'm talking about. Like Lucy Mangan's already gone a bit of like trying to prove to people um, that uh, I'm more than they think I am. If that's all they've seen, those films and stuff. And I've been working away at that, and, and you know, I think I've made good strides in that in the last you know six months, particularly. Um, it seems like that's the constant for most any actor. And certainly in your case, I mean, this is the recurring theme. You talk about the early, you know, as you segued from modeling into acting. I mean, it's just sure. the age old story. It's just like they sure. remember the last role or two and you just got to keep showing them. There's more to me than that. Absolutely. And there's a challenge in that that I really love. And I have always loved the challenge and I, and I will always seek out a challenge. Um, so you know i'm 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 up for it you know i'm totally up for it and you know it's just a thing you know there's um there's just a, a, yes you have a different reason for every job you do and um you know i i, I feel like the, the more you're working the more consistently your work is received well a, a plan is slightly more easier to form but it's still essentially overall hard to to have a firm plan with what's going to happen um, I'll, I'll end with this. Uh, I, I asked uh, the followers of Happy Second Fused uh, for some questions. I have, I have one here from uh, Kimberly Hoover who wants to know if you hadn't become an actor, what career you would have pursued? Is there one that jumps out? I would have tried to do something in sport. Um, I've always loved sport, was very, have been very sporty. Um, 
I went and I'm, I think about sport a lot. I'm thinking about sport right now. I've been thinking about sport for the entire podcast. Wow. Um, wow, rude. Yeah. Biscuits and sport. Oh, there he goes. He's gone. <laughs> I, see, I see his brain literally floating away. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think a lot like I was one of those kids who watched Jerry Maguire and thought, yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, but so it would have been maybe something in sports, but I think the reality is it's quite, it's sort of harder to get into than people think sport. Um, not as hard as acting to get into, but like, um, I probably would have become like an estate agent or something, or a realtor, as you, as you say, because where I came from, you could drop out of university or not go to university at all and still do that to an extent and then work your way up without a degree or whatever. Um, and I felt that probably the reality of where I was headed. I could have been going around, you know, I love it when, you know, you've been showing a house and they bring you into the bathroom and say, and this is the bathroom. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I've been in the bathroom before, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you, yeah, if this is, yeah, they're cupboards. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not saying that's all there is to that job, but there's a lot of it is that and I've always, always made me laugh. Wow, you've just been canceled by the real estate industry. You <laughs> lost that segment of your. I hope there's not a big academy demo that also sells real estate because you just fuck yourself, my friend. I'm worried. I'm worried there is. <laughs> um, congratulations on all your success, buddy. You are now a happy, sad, confused veteran at long last, long overdue. Um, no, truly. I mean, in, in all earnestness, uh, you know I love your work and you're you're a good one, man. And congratulations on Barb and Star yet again because I'll never stop thanking, congratulating you on that and. And Belfast, if you guys have not checked it out yet, um, what are you doing with your lives? This is pure <laughs> light and joy in a dark universe. You need this in your lives, guys. Um, buddy, thanks for your time. Thanks, Josh. Cheers, buddy. I appreciate it. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs> 